Hello and welcome to the Talking Food with Bid Food podcast. I'm Joe Inglis and for this episode we're talking all things school catering post-pandemic and throughout 2022. Later in the episode we're going to be joined by Andy Kemp, MBE, who is Bid Food's Group Sales and Marketing Director. Particularly close to his heart has been fighting for the protection of universal infant free school meals, along with his work on holiday hunger, advocating and ensuring a better future for children across the UK. Andy recently spoke at the all-party parliamentary group meeting about the importance of funding for universal infant free school meals, which we'll cover in this episode. We'll also be joined by Jackie Blake, who is the Commercial Operations Manager at Nottingham City Council, as well as the National Chair for LASA, the School Food People. LASA is the leading professional body for education, representing 550 catering managers in local authorities, private contractors and individual schools or academies. She'll be providing her fantastic first-hand insight into how school catering will develop this year. To support me with going through this subject, I'm glad to be joined by our education marketing expert, Callie Ip. Welcome, Callie, and thanks for joining me for this. Hi, Joe. But before you start, can you tell us a bit about your role and about the support you provide education customers? Yes, of course. So um, I'm the customer marketing executive supporting the education sectors. So what I do is help bring customers inspiration, recipe innovation, comprehensive guides, newsletters, menu cycles, and even more. Thanks, Callie. We've got loads to cover for this episode, so let's bring on our guests. So we're now joined by Andy and Jackie. I'll start things off with Andy. Welcome to the podcast for the first time, Andy. Hello, it's great to be here. Yes, absolutely. Andy, please, um, could you introduce yourself to the audience and share with them a bit about your background, particularly in reference to school catering? Okay, well, um, I've been in the industry for over 40 years. Um, I've worked within food wholesale um, since 1988. Um, My role in Bid Food is group sales and marketing director, where I sit on the holding board together on the board of Bid Food itself and have done for the last 22 years. I've had quite an extensive experience in school catering, um, both from my role within Bid Food and from my role as managing director of an international importing company back in the 80s. Um, I suppose like most people that are conscious on food, I had a particular interest in food and children feeding, um, not only as a wholesaler, but also as a father and then more latterly as a grandfather. Um, And I've been heavily involved with LASA since the 80s. And sometimes I will take the lead on behalf of our board. Wow, it sounds like you've been working in the industry for a very long time and with a lot of experience as well. Am I right in saying that school catering has massively changed over the years? And can you talk us through what school catering is like today and how that differs from years past? Yes, of course. Um, Well, I suppose up until 1981, um, school catering was always run by the local authorities and therefore it always sat in-house, funded by the local council. Um, In 1988, um, we saw the movement towards competitive tendering. um, And at this time, we then started seeing some changes coming in with major contractors taking over the contracts from a local authority or clusters being formed um, within um, that school service provision. Um, At the same time, the then Thatcher government 
made some changes about what could happen within food. And we then started to see a major change in the offer of food provision. This also saw the introduction of chips coming onto the menu cycles, pizzas, and so on and so forth. Um, but we also saw then the beginnings of a food-based standard beginning to be worked forward. The next big change, I suppose, came in 2005 when Jamie Oliver challenged um, the food offer across all food catering. And for me, this was quite a strange period because caterers even then were struggling to work within a cost base um, and therefore some of the foods that were being designed didn't work within the costs at that time. And I can remember talking to Jamie quite extensively um, about how do we create a meal? Um, and I think at the time it was £1.50 or something um, at the standards that he was trying to put forward. From this, we saw the movement from the nutritionally based food standards. And we also then saw the introduction of a lot more thinking around what we were offering to the caterer and more importantly, what the caterer was beginning to offer um, to all of their clients. At the same time, we saw the introduction in 2014 by Henry Dimbleby and John Vincent, um, where they then started looking at the um, food-based standards and nutritionally food-based standards, and these became implemented in law. This is still going on today, and this will be seen as the basis that we'll be working for going forward, probably from next year. Some of the big changes, however, have moved away from what was traditionally in the old days a fresh offer to a mixture of fresh and processed foods. Um, the processed foods have been introduced purely to give choice in many, many authorities, not all authorities, many authorities still sit with, with um, fresh foods coming through. And obviously to protect the quality of food, we saw the introduction of Food for Life, um, where authorities could be banded against bronze, um, silver or gold, driven by what they were serving fresh and where the food was coming from, um, particularly looking at local British products. And this was a big major movement forward. So the, the industry has changed, the stretch has changed, um, the requirement for the caterer has become more complex, um, the use of kit in a kitchen has become everything, and maintaining staff, of course, has been a key point. That's great, thank you, Andy. Uh, so now is a really good time to welcome Jackie on. So welcome to the podcast and thank you for joining us, Jackie. Hi, it's great to be with you. Thank you. So to start things off, Jackie, please could you share with the audience a bit about your experience in the industry, as well as a bit about your roles as chair of LACER, then also what you do for Nottingham City Council? Yeah, sure. So um, I started my career after um, I did a degree in hotel and catering studies, worked in the commercial sector for a while and, and in corporate catering. And my husband and I moved to Nottinghamshire um, uh, 31 years ago. I can't believe it's that long, but, um, and that was when I joined the school meals industry. Um, after eight years, the city separated and I joined what is now Nottingham Catering. And as, as Andy mentioned, there's been a huge number of changes in that, that period of time. Um, but I'm really proud to say I think myself and the team have made a big difference to the pupils in Nottingham. There's areas of deprivation that mean that some children, their school meals, it really is the only hot meal of the day. And that's why 
I think it's really key to see lunchtime as the ninth lesson of the day. Um, it's really important to encourage and expose children to a variety of dishes and to support that increase in fruit and veg consumption. And that then led me working in that area to become a member of LACER. I joined pretty much at the same time as I joined the school meals industry and started as an active member in our East Midlands region. I became a board member in 2018. I'm pleased to say that in September 21, I became the current chair and will be for the next year. It's a really great privilege to represent our members. Uh, LACER hosts webinars and seminars for members and our partners, and it really helps to keep them abreast of latest trends and news. Our website became a really valuable tool during COVID. We posted up all the latest updates and links to key information. But I think one of the other key parts that, that I play is, as chair and the rest of the board is our engagement with uh, teams in government. So we have, for example, a monthly meeting with the DfE, and we also have arranged meetings with ministers and MPs to inform them of all the challenges facing our industry. Um, in particular, I've just recently met with uh, Will Quince, who's the Minister for Schools, um, and it's really good to be able to lay out those difficulties that the industry faces at the moment. So I do see my role and that of the Board of LACER as, as not, not just being there to support members, but also making sure that ministers and MPs are kept up to date with the latest challenges facing our members. Thank you, Jackie. That sounds like amazing work there that you do. So if I take us back to this episode subject, school catering in 2022, it has become more of a challenge to cater for schools now over the last few years. But what would you say has been the main cause of this difficulty? I think there's two things. Um, one is obviously clearly the pandemic has, has been difficult for everyone, but particularly um, for school caterers, um, as we had large, large periods of time where we had lockdown uh, and schools were shut. Um, but also the effects of Brexit. Uh, these have both created really big challenges with regard to supply chain and also the knock-on effect with regards recruitment and staff absence. So it's been extremely challenging for all our members. And, you know, whilst we are very flexible and adaptable, um, I have to say the frontline teams have done an amazing job this last two years. And, um, you know, they, they continue to do that. But with food and equipment prices rising, and again, we've got living wage increasing in April, it's becoming increasingly difficult for caterers to manage their budgets and ensure that they meet the school food standards. And that is really important. We, you know, we all want to make sure that we can put the best possible meal on the plate for all of those children. Um, but it is becoming increasingly difficult. The budgets are not increasing the money for universal infant free school meals, for example, hasn't increased um, in proportion to inflation. And currently we're seeing huge price increases in food. So whilst we all want to provide the best food possible, and certainly from a Nottingham perspective, we've, we've always looked to train and develop our staff to enable them to cook fresh British where possible. Um, that is becoming increasingly more difficult. Yeah, it does sound really, really difficult. Um, so how are school caterers dealing with these challenges? Have you seen any examples of 
best practice, for example? Certainly, yeah. We're, we're a resilient bunch. And I think at the moment it's, it's about being adaptable and flexible. Um, many teams have been stretched, but I think it's about flexing the menu and, and using alternatives. Um, but again, you know, some people may not know, but the, the key thing with that is you have to be mindful of your allergens because if you change products or change um, the dish that you're serving, you need to be sure that all that allergen information is up to date. Um, so that is that is key. We've seen some really good practice out there about adapting menus, changing them. Um, and, you know, all, all children are still being fed, which is really important. But I think the other thing I've seen, which has been really good, is everybody's realising how valuable an asset their staff are. And they're really putting that support into training and development. And, for example, um, Blackpool as a local authority. I know um, the manager up there, Derek, he has, uh, with colleagues, set up a chef's academy to train and equip people to join our industry and develop those chefs of the future. So I think that's certainly one area that we will definitely be seeing um, develop. And of course, the other thing is our suppliers. They've been absolutely brilliant at sourcing supplies so that we can ensure that everyone gets that hot, healthy meal. Um, and I know particularly in Nottingham, we've we've looked with our development chefs and, and tasking them with creating new and exciting recipes and developing things and being more creative with with the menus in order to meet the standards but you know still make sure that we can get that hot healthy meal but I have to say it's it's getting extremely challenging now. Thanks for that insight Jackie. So one of the constant battles that school face is the fact that they have to find a way to provide children nutritious meals whilst having limited capacity in the kitchen and on top of that they have to work on a very limited budget. How would you personally advise caterers to keep on top of this? I think the key thing is, is to, it starts with your supplies and, and then your menu um, and also that, that adaptability. So it's, it's having um, things in your storeroom that enable you to provide those meals um, where you may be struggling with supplies um, but also I think it's looking at that cost base. And I, I do think that most caterers want to be able to buy British. We don't want to have to source a cheaper product. Um, but, you know, it's, it is proving difficult. And I think the one thing you can do is have that really good relationship with your supplier. So be it meat, fruit and vegetables or um, grocery and, and frozen. It's, it's having that good working relationship with your suppliers and finding what's out there. And then having a team that can develop those new recipes and be creative. And I think the other thing is, is equipment in the kitchen. Again, like with food, there are issues maybe with parts and getting things repaired. So again, it's about making sure that uh, you have that extra supply so that in your, on your shelf so that if a piece of equipment does break down and it's going to be a while before it can be repaired or replaced, then you've got that adaptability. So I think the flexibility and adaptability is certainly the key for all caterers going forward to have that supply on your shelf of ambient goods or frozen goods so that it can see you through the tough times. Uh, but with having such a limited budget, would you say it's really difficult to maintain good standards as well? 
I think um, we're getting to the point now where it, it is very difficult. Um, I certainly can speak from um, my own experience in Nottingham that we have found it a challenge. There will be certain things that won't be on a menu because it's cost prohibitive. But what we are managing to do is keep to those um, food standards. Um, but I know certainly across the whole country, the one of the key issues is that um, although the current um, budget or allowance for schools for universal infants free school meals is £2.34, it's very rare that you will see that schools will pass on that full budget to caterers. And I think the other thing to consider as well is for somebody like myself, who has um, a reasonably large portfolio of schools, you know, for those independent schools where they're in fairly small or maybe rural, their school's budget, they don't have those economies of scale and they are definitely struggling, I think, at the moment. So I think the time has come. It's getting very close now where people are, are going to really, really struggle with that for sure. So one of the key things I think is that everyone is trying their hardest to ensure that they do meet those standards. But, you know, there are some people that, and you will have seen this in, in the public domain, that there are some schools that, that maybe haven't. And that's why I think it's really important. And LASA has championed this for a long time, that there is monitoring of the school food standards. Um, and we're pleased to say that LASA is working with the Food Standards Agency on their pilot and a number of our members, um, myself in Nottingham included, are working on this pilot to develop a standard that their officers can check and make sure because it is vital that, that there's a level playing field on this and that everybody meets those standards. It is really important because that meal is important to those children. So it's vital that it meets the standards. Absolutely. Thank you for sharing some brilliant insight into what school catering looks like at the moment. We're now going to deep dive into the really important subject of funding for universal infant free school meals. Welcome back to the podcast. As has been widely reported in the news, the cost of living has increased rapidly over the course of the last year. The cost of fuel has risen, and so has the cost of food and bills at the same time. This is going to have a massive effect on so many families across the nation, and more and more people are going to head towards poverty as a result. So Andy, can you give us an idea of how wide this problem is in the UK? It's considerable. There are 4.6 million children living in poverty, as of September of last year, we also know that following Brexit, following the pandemic, this number will have risen. And we should have another answer on that, which we estimate will have increased by close to 400,000. So it's a massive problem for us. As a wholesale distributor, one of the great benefits we get is very good insights into the marketplace for which we trade in. And it became increasingly obvious that we had a major issue sitting within our education sector. And with this as a backdrop, I decided to write to the government, involve major bodies, obviously LASA included as well, to start to share out with government the absolute issues we were facing within this industry. For example, if you look at the inflationary effects on food together with the living wage, today with RPI, that number will become £2.92. If you looked at just purely food and the living wage, that number would be 287. 
And if you looked at the living wage and CPI, that number would be 297. It is interesting to remember the government only measures against CPI, and we're still sitting at a funding of £2.34. So there is a massive gap that we expect our caterers to produce their food for. And I think for me, this is the number one major problem. The second problem, which Jackie alluded to earlier on, is that a school is allocated a number of heads or the money towards people that are having food. If a pupil doesn't arrive or if that number goes down, that cash does not go to the caterer. It goes back to the school. And many schools have budgets of what they're going to do with this monies. These monies are allocated originally for school feeding and it should sit with the caterer. There are also issues around extending this to juniors. There's issues around, I believe, on how we measure the catering that we're offering going forward. But what's very, very obvious to most people that think about it is that we have an issue. And again, Jackie talked about it earlier on. We know that children that are well hydrated and are nutritionally fed retain more in a classroom and therefore have a way of getting better education. This is very, very prevalent when you get to a deprived area where the school meal is often the only meal they have. And when I hear reports of local authorities or caterers looking at pulling out of the provision of food into an authority, it kind of sets alarm bells that in 2022, we are not adjusting the cost and the value going back into our education to those people that need it the most. And that is why I made a decision that I would write to the Chancellor, the Prime Minister and major players within both the government and opposition together with major industry bodies to try and get a program going forward to highlight to government exactly the problems that we're facing today. So some can argue that there has to be a trade-off between nutritious, wholesome meals and the quality of food at schools. Would you say that's true? Um, I wouldn't say it's true. I think that the difference today is that the caterer will offer a different standard of food. So as a consequence, it's, it's a legal requirement to have a certain nutritional standard. It is not a legal requirement to have all fresh food or freshly prepared food or to prepare food in a way um, that meets, I would say, the standards of high quality that many caterers offer. But the issue going forward is how long can they maintain the standard? And therefore, if someone can't legally maintain a standard that is required from them, they've got one option. They either lose money on a contract or they pull from it. And it's as simple as that. With um, free school meals, am I right in thinking that there must be a lot of children who are not currently on the free school meals program, but their families with all the external forces at the moment are heading towards struggling to afford for school meals too? Yes, there are. And I think there's a big gap between those on low incomes and those that get, those that get benefits around those incomes. Um, so you're absolutely right. Um, there is a massive gap. Uh, I'd just like to come in there, actually, from, from Nottingham's perspective, we certainly have um, a number of pupils that we see when they get stage two and primary level and universal infant free school meals stop and they're not entitled to means tested uh, free school meals. 
the number of children taking a meal will drop off and you will definitely we have evidence of family if they've had two or three children where they would have been staying every day of the week they have to make a choice and they maybe would only stay one or two days if they can afford that so it is real for sure that's really awful to hear but from both of you what do you what do you think can be done about this I believe that we have to create awareness. I mean, personally, I would write to every single MP in the country. I would get them to get involved with the local authority and go and see what's happening for themselves. I mean, there are some brilliant MPs out there that are doing fabulous work. I mean, I have to name someone like Sharon Hodson, who heads up the all-party committee. Her work is incredulous, and they really do understand the challenges that are going on. Um, but I would write to my local MP, I would highlight back to government, and I would keep on pushing forward. Um, later, sometimes there's been a lone voice out there fighting very hard for everything it believes in. But of course, the benefit of supply into this sector also supports the, all of the manufacturers, all of the UK wholesalers, which is why I've got involved with the Food and Drink Federation and the Federation of wholesale distributors who again have added this to their agenda. So we have to shout loud because the cost of making this change in the scheme of things isn't that great. The cost of not making this change is absolutely, in my view, catastrophic. And Jackie, to ask you the same question, the school catering industry, what can they do about this? What would you recommend? Well, I think um, Andy's absolutely right. Certainly write to your MPs. Um, that, that's first and foremost. And, and from Lace's perspective, we, we're already engaging in that regard. I think one of the other key things is that, you know, we, it, it's not a level playing field. If you think in Scotland, they have free school meals. Wales have just announced. So, you know, for me, I think it should be the whole of the UK should have um, universal free school meals. It would stop um, all of these issues and it would ensure that every child can have um, that hot, healthy meal. But in, in the short term, yes, certainly um, raise that awareness and, and make it clear. To sum up the feeling, it's, it's really clear to hear just how much passion and frustration that you all have. And I've personally found this episode really eye-opening to hear about the challenges school face. And I think we can all agree on just how much needs to be done to support caterers and children. It's absolutely clear that a lot needs to be done to ensure children are given the best chance for their learning and development at school. But before I wrap things up, Andy, I just wanted to say thank you for joining the podcast for this episode and for sharing such fantastic insight and knowledge in the sector. You're welcome. Thank you. Uh, and Jackie, it was brilliant to hear from your perspective on just how things will develop in this sector and what needs to be done. It's been great to join you. Thank you. As I wrap things up, Callie, that was a really interesting conversation, wasn't it? But before we finish, what support have we got available to our school customers? Yeah, you're right. That was some really shocking and eye-opening insights there. The good news is that we can do so much more to ensure that children are fed substantial, warm, healthy meals to help them fuel for development. Um, in terms of support that we have for our school customers, uh, we have a three-week menu cycle for primary schools, which you can find on our school's webpage at www.bidfood.co.uk forward slash schools. 
Um, we also have a termly newsletter and the next one is coming out in April. So please keep your eyes out for that. That's brilliant. And thank you for joining me as co-host for the first time. Thanks for having me. That was a really good podcast to start off on. If you're looking for more information on what Bigview can do to support your school, you'll be able to find our school sector page. And there's a link in the episode summary. If you've enjoyed this episode, please make sure you follow our series on whatever platform you use to listen to podcasts on to make sure you're the first to hear our episodes. Thank you all for listening. And until next time, goodbye.